and we will be looking at uh, Acts 16, starting in verse 1. We'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we come before you today as believers, we realize your greatness, Lord, and your love for us that you send the Holy Spirit into us to understand your word. And Lord, I pray that we get a, a, a blessing, a measure of that Holy Spirit today as we hear your word. Help me to represent you properly, Lord, and give us all hearts to hear and minds and the will to, do, to follow you, Lord, to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 16. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. The disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. They went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. We'll end there. We will cover more verses as we go on. You may be seated. You know, as we, we go on to this chapter 16, Paul has a new partner. He's, he'll be going on the second missionary journey, and this time it'll be with Silas. Remember, there was a tiff or a fight or a disagreement, which led to the separation from Barnabas. And I'm just going to go back, and we're going to look at that a little bit. Just chapter 15, verse 37 says, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You know, what we see here is that God uses a separation to his advantage. Now they have two groups of missionaries going out, going out to these churches, these newfound churches, building them up, reinforcing them, and spreading the gospel to new areas. Again, we serve a perfect God. We are not perfect. But God will use our imperfections and take those imperfections and lead us down different paths to do godly actions when we are his true believers. As I mentioned before, it's the persistence of the saints in spite of any circumstances, which is a true testimony of a person being saved. They may go through difficulties. They may get, not get along with 
people in the church, they may switch churches, but they will not quit the Christian faith. They will not back off from it. They will continue to seek out a work that God wants them to do. Paul and Barnabas did not give up their callings at all. You know, the God that started the good work in us will complete it. And we may think that our path is laid out on our understanding, and that path may be completely different than what God wants us to do. And God will direct us, and he uses many ways to do it, sometimes harsh ways. But a true believer will continue on in the faith like these faithful people did, Paul, Barnabas, Silas. Now they're starting their second missionary journey and from reading the scholars, most of them are agreeing that this is about five years later, some four, some say five, some six, but this is years later. So they've spent you know, months at these churches getting them established, moving on, but they feel it's about a course of five years before the second missionary journey gets going. And it says, And they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, after which they went to Derbe and Lystra. So they're going back the areas that they had covered before, strengthening the churches, checking them out, making sure they're holding to the doctrine, and they are sharing that letter from the first council the churches had concerning the circumcisions of the Gentiles. But they went to Derba and Lystra. We must remember, Paul, he undertook severe persecution in Lystra. Remember, they came in there and they worshipped him as a god. They said, no, we're not gods. We're not gods. Don't worship us. A few days later, they were stoning him. And they did stone him and left him for dead. But Paul survived. And he showed great courage even at that time. He went back into Lystra and showed himself. I think it was to get in these guys' faces and say, hey, you tried stoning me. You thought I was dead, but no, God wouldn't allow that. I believe this had a great influence on the church in Lystra in that area. We know it had an influence on Timothy, a young man who was strong in the faith. This is the same Timothy that the later letters will be addressed to, First and Second Timothy. And we know he is a young man because Paul says in those letters he didn't want his youth to make it that people could intimidate him because he was young. He may have been young, but he was very mature in the faith. So we know he was a strong believer. Paul revered him as a son. Close relationship. He was like a son to him. A man who was strong in the faith. You know, as we read, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer by his father, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. He had a reputation. A good reputation. And when Paul met him, talked to him, 
He was so impressed with him. He wanted this young man to come with him on the missionary journey. He felt that this man could be of great use to him. But you see, this is how our God works. Barnabas left, separated from Paul. And Paul got Silas, and now he's getting Timothy. God will always bring people in our lives to stand along with us in the faith. There may be times when brothers or sisters move on to a different area, a different calling, and we may think, how can we go on? Why did they leave? But don't worry about it. God always has somebody in the wings, bringing them up, preparing them to step into those places. God will not allow his church to be crippled when it is faithful. But he may call people in a different direction. And I believe that's what happened here. But now he's supplying Paul with more and more people to go with him. Again, the faithfulness that God brings him is Silas and Timothy now. However, Paul, he's a little hesitant with Timothy. He sees a hindrance if he takes Timothy. Timothy is a half-breed, Greek and a Jew. Now remember, you know, from our other studies, the Jews in the past had pretty hard feelings toward the Gentiles and the half-breeds. But the church was slowly addressing these issues. And the biases were dropping and falling off. But it doesn't mean they were all gone. God was softening the hearts of many Jews, but many of these Jews still had biases. And Timothy followed the custom of his father. He was not circumcised. And Paul could see that as a hinder because they were going to be working among the Jews. Timothy, not being circumcised, would be considered an apostate Jew for not following the law. You know, the commentator Bruce states that if Paul wanted to keep his link to the synagogues, he, would not, he could not appear to condone the apostasy of Timothy not being circumcised. But Paul was carrying a letter stating that the Gentiles did not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. So what was Paul to do? Paul could see it would be a hindrance, but he's had a letter that the church council decided, no, they do not have to be circumcised. Well, in verse 3 it says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Small town living, everybody knows everything, right? So did Paul compromise the ruling of the faith? No, he circumcised him. Was this wrong? Did Paul bow to public pressure? Say, this is what is popular of the day, I'm just going to do it? You know, the key point we must consider is that Paul did not state that the circumcision of Timothy had anything to do with his salvation. 
He did not say, Timothy, you have to be circumcised to be saved. The point is, Paul was looking at the effectiveness of the ministry, the ministry journey they were about to embark on. Paul and Timothy would be going to Jewish synagogues, to Jews. And they did not want the topic to lead to and be the main focus that you're walking around with an uncircumcised apostate Jew. How could you teach us? The discipling of these churches would be hindered. So in order to eliminate the problem, Paul circumcised Timothy. We must remember this was not a mandatory circumcision. Timothy could have said, no, forget it. But his love for the church and for the weaker brothers, he was willing to give up his right of not being circumcised, his freedom in Christ of not being circumcised, if he felt that circumcision would advance the church, he would give up that freedom so that he would not bruise the conscience of the weaker brothers. That is the key. They wanted to work with the weaker brothers. He endured this painful experience in order to keep peace within the brethren and within the young churches. Because many of these Jews were not mature Christians. They were weaker in faith. And an uncircumcised Jew would not have any standing with them. You know, that's a good lesson for us. We have many liberties in Christ and as Christians. But we must be wise in our minds when we witness to people that we do not offend traditions they have been growing up with, rules and regulations that have been with them their whole life should not be the main and the leading topic. It should be Christ and the maturity of believers and how do you reach that maturity. It's like if we have a, a Baptist that's so against drinking you wouldn't say, come and meet me at a bar or restaurant. Or if somebody been, been, has been raised that you can't go to any movies or anything, you wouldn't say, let's go to a movie and then we'll talk afterwards. And these things are not sinful. But it may bruise the weaker brother who has not reached that point. You know, Christianity is like a tall ladder. We're all on different rungs going up and down. Some are more mature. Some are just starting. And as strong believers, we must always, always be more sensitive to the weaker believers. We must try to do nothing that will hinder anybody's faith. And if that means giving up some of our Christian freedom, we should do it. It does not mean compromising the sin. Do not get me wrong. This has nothing to do with doctrine. It has nothing to do with sin on our part. It's just that we're giving up a freedom. And, you know, and Paul, he lived this. He said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. 
I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Again, Paul did not resort to sinning. He didn't resort to changing doctrine. He didn't go against the decree of the church. It says you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. He's just giving up some of his freedoms so that he can relate to the people he was preaching to. And we have to understand, just as today, people are coming from many traditions, many various backgrounds into the Christian faith. And when they've been taught something their whole life, it takes time for that to be released from them. But Paul knew that if they came into the faith, they came into a strong church, they would mature. And these things that separated them, these things that weren't sinful, they'd start falling off to the side. You know, it's just like all of us as we mature. When we were young, young Christers and a lot of zeal without knowledge, I'd say, we held the things and, oh, we'd argue those things up and down with other people. And now it's more to how do we advance God's kingdom here on earth? I mean, I'm comfortable with people who believe in the rapture. We can sit down, pray, go on, and we don't even, you know, we talked about the rapture maybe once years ago. We don't, it's not the main focus. It's a difference in our, what we believe, but it's not going to be what every conversation is about because that does not advance God's kingdom. Paul wanted to teach clear doctrinal issues. The supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the loveliness of Christ, how the Spirit works through us. Paul never rejected the decision of the council. It tells us that in verse 4. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. There was no conflict with Timothy getting circumcised. Like I said, he agreed to it. It wasn't mandatory. It wasn't for salvation. And what was the result? The results were great. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. A strong church will always increase in number. The saints are working in unity, and it's Paul's faithfulness. His faithfulness. And remember, Paul was a genius when it comes to the law and all this stuff. The rabbi of rabbis. The top student. If anybody could tear somebody apart and hinder their faith, it would have been him. But he learned to work with people. He learned to get down to their level. He knew how to get into those little nooks and crannies to strengthen them and encourage them in spite of their differences. And the churches grew. But Paul, you know, he was a man of action. And when he felt the church was capable of standing on its own leadership, he'd move on. He'd move on to strengthen more churches or start more churches. But Paul's Prayers like this, 
this part of the mission is complete. Where now, Lord? I believe it was. I think Paul was always striving where he could be used the most efficiently. And they go on, and they went through the region of Pideria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So Paul continues on his mission. Pideria and Galatia. They were not told much about Pideria. And we're not told much about Galatia either. We may assume there were churches were established there, if not by Paul, but others. But we know that Paul did establish churches in Galatia. So when we hear these one-word things, oh, and he went to Galatia. Remember, he's on a missionary journey. He may have spent months there establishing churches. Luke just doesn't fill in all the blanks. But if we go to Galatians 4.12, it tells us, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God. As Christ Jesus. So it appears Paul had become ill near Galatia, yet he continued on on the in the world's or the Lord's work, even though he felt like he was a burden because he was ill. But it says he started. I preach the gospel to you at first. Sounds like he was the one who started and initiated that. So now his going through there was surely to strengthen the churches there and in the area. You know, we're not told why Paul or how he was forbidden to go into Asia. You notice that? I think Paul, you know, mentions here, but, you know, know, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Sounds like Paul had Asia on his itinerary. The Holy Spirit said, no, not now, not yet. Not in this season. But we know that the gospel was preached there. Churches were established there. Maybe Barnabas went there with John Mark. Because in Acts 19.8 we read, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus, thus continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. You know, a great lesson for us. Doors will close where we don't make any headway with a person or with a group of people. But that does not mean that God will not open that door to someone else or to us in the future. This is humbling. It's to keep us humble. We are to plant and water. Success is of the Lord. 
God calls us to be faithful. The success is up to him. And in this case, perhaps God wanted Paul to reach these other places first. Or he allowed other saints to open the doors in these places. Perhaps it was to keep Paul a little humble. But we do know that it is God's plan that will take over. And if we are persistent, we will find the right door, even if we walk in the doors that aren't open. And again, we see they wanted to go to Bethnia. And in some way, the Holy Spirit blocked that as well. Again, for a, se- a season, though. That area would receive the gospel. In the area of Bethnia was the city of Nice, where the first general council was held against the Arians. Peter sent his epistles to these areas. So there were flourishing churches there. Though at that particular time, the door was closed to Paul. But it does not mean it was closed to others later. Or perhaps it was Paul who went down there. You know, we may try to walk and plan what we feel is God's will, but many times we will err, we will walk in the wrong direction, we will walk before God is ready to open that door. Or perhaps later. But even if we miss Q, we must continue on in the faith. It says, and when they came up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. Again, Paul does not give up. And we're not told what happened in Troas. This is another one of them. He goes to Troas. What happened there? Well, Acts 20. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopatar the Berean, son of Parthus, accompanied him, and the Thessalonians Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for him at Troas. But he sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Notice how the, the language is changing here to we. It appears now Luke is accompanying Paul as well. And on the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intended to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Saints were there. They were being edified. They were being discipled. Troas, that's what happened at Troas. Churches were started. This goes on to where the guy fell asleep and fell out the window and died. Paul brought him back to life. But what we see is Paul's persistence. One door closes, he goes somewhere else. 
He doesn't keep beating on a door that's closed. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of effort. It's a waste of God's time that he has given us. How many times have we given so much time to sons, daughters, friends, or relatives trying to convert them, and it's out of love. They kick sand in our face, and we try and try and try. You know, there's times when we must just walk away and say, God, use somebody else to reach them. That door is closed. I can't waste the time you giving me to keep beating on a door that is closed. I believe that's how Paul felt. You know, God may have communicated with Paul through dreams. We're not sure. Maybe in miraculous ways. And we can say, well, how do we know? How do we know what to do? Well, God makes it clear. He says, in the multitude of counselors, there is great wisdom. When God impresses something on our heart, we go to older, more mature Christians and seek out their godly advice. It tells us younger women, go to the older women. For the most part, God will use ordinary means. Saints around him, around us, to encourage us as to what to do. And for those when people come to you, it should be encouragement. It should be thoughtful encouragement, even if the trail they are seeking is difficult and hard and sometimes maybe seemingly impossible. We must remember God is in control. And when we give advice, it should be with prayer and caution that we do not bruise anybody's spirit or hinder anybody's mission that God has ordained them to do. Can God speak through visions? Can he give us dreams? Can an angel stand before us and say, go there? Of course. But God has his fellow workmen, and that's a, I believe that's the usual way how God works. So Paul as a vision. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice Paul was always sensitive to God's leading. He didn't delay. He didn't look at the problems that might hinder this. He said, God is calling us. He will make the way. He will give us the fellow workers. If God wants us there, he'll get us there. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading, leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was, was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Notice, no synagogue here. This was a Roman city. The saints who had been witnessed to, they meet in the open to pray. 
One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. They listened to her. But notice Paul knew as he went in, even to Philippi, no synagogue. There weren't saints. He didn't know there were saints. So they spent, what, some days probably staying in the, they'd have public like pavilions where people could stay as they traveled or hotels. But for a missionary journey to succeed, a long-term mission thing, they would need the support of others who would meet their needs. And along comes Lydia. God will always meet the needs of the saints. We may have to step out in faith and step out into the darkness and even remain in that darkness for a few days, a few weeks. But if we persevere and prevail at what our task is, God will be there for us. Or he will shut that door and he will make it clear to us that that door has been shut. But it is the persistence and the wisdom as to when to walk away and go in another direction. That's why we're given these examples. Our God will direct our paths as long as we are intent on serving him and not ourselves. And being humble enough to say, I went down the wrong road. Where do you want me, Lord? We will hit roadblocks. We're in a war, a spiritual war. Satan is fighting against us. But God will open those doors if not for us, for other saints. And maybe that is just to keep us humble. And God will always bring worthy companions alongside of you. We're not an army of one. God will establish his church. He will have people to assist you, like-minded brothers and sisters. He is always faithful. Going to end now more on a personal note. I visited my cousin the other day. Haven't seen her in a while. They have a family of eight. They went to the same Catholic church I did when I was young. We have nine, so we get together. She's a believer. One of her brothers is a believer, and one other sister. So we'd always talk about our siblings, and we'd pray about the unsaved, concerning the unsaved siblings. Now, she's got a sister named Oz, Joanne, nickname Oz. And I'm going to call her Oz because that's how I've known her my whole life. And you have heard me talk about the Catholic Church. They weren't very nice to me. And I may joke about it, but those were very painful years. Extremely painful. Falsely accused and convicted because the goody two-choos just said it. So I'd get disciplined, 
But even a kid at seven, eight, nine years old knows if you're being disciplined for something that you didn't do, you know you're, that it's wrong. So in my case, after they would give me the stripes, I figured, well, from now on, I might as well earn some of the stripes. I'm going to get them anyway. So I wasn't a very good kid. But she was a good kid. They treated her horrible. And both of us walked away from the church as soon as we could. We thought, if that's what Christianity is about, I want nothing to do with it. Talk about the love of Jesus and beat the hell out of you for no reason. Thankfully, God in his love brought me to faith. But Oz, not so much. Her brothers and sisters would pray for her and pray for her. But she was belligerent to him. Mean to him when they brought up Christianity. And finally it got to the point they felt they were casting pearls in front of swine. So when they did see her, she was a libertarian living out in California. When she did visit, they just didn't bring up religion anymore. The door had closed and they recognized it. But you know what? She's a libertarian. They started closing things down in California, and she didn't like that. The other libertarians didn't like it, but guess who else didn't like it? The Christians. So she started going to meetings, and she was finding herself surrounded by Christians. Now, it's easy to be belligerent to your brothers and sisters. I think it's easier than the strangers. But our other sister told Linda, the one I met with, that she had talked to Oz, and Oz is asking about Christianity, wondering about what faith is. Because God has used these other people and these shutdowns to have a unity among her and these believers. They have something in common. Will that seed of faith blossom? I pray it will. Our God does things when he wants to in his season. Perhaps her walk had to be that long, so if she comes to faith, she will have a strong testimony of what not to do. Was it wrong for my cousin to stop praying for her, to feel that they were casting pearls in front of swine? No. They went on to do other work. Oz would tear up the sermons or smash the discs they gave her. But our God is faithful. The word they shared did not come back void. I believe it's working in our heart. And that's a lesson for all of us. We have a great God. We are all insufficient. We will hit roadblocks. We will hit difficulties. 
But our God is faithful to carry us through all those difficulties, even in the age and the days that we live in and now the uncertainty. Our God will open doors. He will close doors. He will separate people from us. He will bring people in with us. It's our job to be persistent and faithful and realizing our capabilities. We plant, we water, God gives the increase. We will never be able to step beyond those bounds. Paul knew that. And all these other people who have strengthened the church knew it as well. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We know we don't have faithfulness. We know we stumble and fall and come short. We sin. We blow it. But you pick us up and dust us off and keep us going. You encourage us. Let us encourage others, Lord. And I pray, O Lord, that the Holy Spirit works in Joanne's heart. Amen.